Okay, so this morning we are going to be launching a new teaching series called God's Soulmates, and all will become clear hopefully uh, as you listen throughout this morning. But the concept for this series is really about looking at the biblical characters who discovered new possibilities in terms of friendship with God. Men and women of the Bible that really moved God's heart. People that enjoyed a relationship with God that previously nobody thought would be possible. And each one of the characters we're going to look at discovered something unique about God and about how he likes to be with his people. And then God made sure that those biographies that are in the Old Testament and the New were placed into our hands because he wanted us to be able to see what he's like, to understand who he is, and also to understand what is possible for us as believers. So in this series, we're going to look at some extraordinary people. We are going to look at Adam. Um, What comes along with Adam is the incredible invitation to co-creation. Just look at this verse from Genesis. So the Lord formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He, put, he brought them to the man to see what he, he would name them. And the man chose a name for each one. This is Genesis 2 verse 1. So right from the beginning we see God bringing man right alongside him. And involving man in God's massive plans. We skip over this verse so quickly, but this is a really significant verse. This kind of begins to set the tone of just how involved with God we are, how much he wants us to come alongside him and to work with him in creation. Just think about this. What a thing for God, the great artist, to do, to have created this incredible universe in all of its diversity and its beauty, and then allow somebody else to name it all. That is incredible generosity. Is there any artist you know, especially a famous one, that would create their masterpieces and then just bring in a friend to to claim all the kind of credit almost, to name those things, to put them out there and to share that art with the world? I mean, I'd just love to have been there when the animals were brought before Adam, when the elephant came in. What are we going to name this one? I can imagine Adam sort of laughing at the shape of the elephant, and then finally coming up with elephant? And God going, elephant! I love that. Let's have elephant. Let's bring in the next one. And maybe something small. And God moving a little creature onto Adam's hand. And Adam looking at the little creature and uh, cackling at the little creature and then saying, praying mantis. And God saying, praying mantis, that's brilliant. That's what it should be called. I think they'd have had a lot of fun with sloths and platypuses and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> or is it platypi? What's the plural of platypus? Who knows? Okay. Can you feel the friendship that is bubbling away 
between God and Adam. Can you see the generosity of God when it comes to sharing his life with his people? That's like page two of the Bible. Okay, so we're going to look at Adam. We're going to look at Abraham. Can't look at friendship with God without looking at Abraham. Um, through looking at Abraham's life, you can get a feel of what it is to live in reckless trust with God. You've only got to remember that Abraham had so little to go on. He had this story of Adam and very little else. He didn't have the Bible that we have. He didn't have all those incredible stories. He just had him and God, and he felt his way forward, and he put his whole life in God's hands. A bit like Humphrey said just a minute ago. He abandoned his life into God's hands, and at that point he discovered a stunningly close friendship with God, to the point where he was invited to negotiate with God over the future of corrupt people groups. That's quite a privilege and quite a big responsibility. We're going to get to that in a few weeks' time, but I love this verse about Abraham. This is in Isaiah um, and chapter 41. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. I'm going to read the rest because it's all good. I've called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I love it. Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. Which would you rather be called? Which would you rather be remembered for? Abraham, my friend, says God. Then we get to Moses. And through the life of Moses, just simply to understand another dynamic about what friendship can look like with God. This is from Exodus and chapter 33. When people saw the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent of meeting, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. And inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So if you're new to the Bible, what's going on here is the Israelites have been released from Egypt. They are journeying through the desert towards their promised land. They are a huge multitude. Uh, and Moses is their leader. And in order for Moses to have a friendship with God, he removes himself from the camp. He, while he's Mr. Responsible in the middle of the camp, he finds it hard to just have an uncomplicated friendship with God. So he removes himself, as you see Jesus doing later on. And he has this tent pitched just outside the camp, really for just hanging out with God, for being with God. That's the whole purpose of this tent that he's had arranged. Sometimes he goes up the mountain, sometimes he goes into his tent, but he finds places outside of the camp to be with God. And I love the way that this says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. This was new. This was a new level of relationship that hadn't been seen before. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
If you read the Exodus story, you'll find that there are times within that story that it feels like Moses is God's only friend on the face of the earth. Everybody else is doing their own thing. Moses is the one person that really cares about who God is and what God thinks and what God wants. And God shares his heart with Moses in a profound way. And on the flip side of that, if you read Exodus, you'll get the feeling throughout this story that there are times in Moses' life where God is the only friend that he has on the face of the earth. Because everybody else is doing their own thing. But there is an intimacy between Moses and God. And the two just spend hours together talking as friends. We move on to David. Through David, we see an invitation to intimacy and honesty. David started out life as a shepherd boy. He had a heart that he used to play out in the fields with his sheep. And right from a very young age, David saw intimacy with God in the place of solitude. So he would play and he would meet with God wherever he was. And he would write, he was a, he was a poetic type, so he would... He would write songs and he would sing to God just on his own out in the fields. And just in that place, just him and God, he forged a relationship that had never been seen before. This, this relationship of intimacy and expression through song, through a very open heart and a creative mind. Later on, David wrote the Psalms. And if you read the Psalms, they are so honest, aren't they? These are gritty, open, honest, bare words where somebody has bared their soul. They're pouring out the deepest parts of their thoughts and their heart and their mind. So David took intimacy with God to a whole new level and honesty with God to a whole new level. And we have these psalms in our hands to read. And I want to encourage you, if you're new to the Christian faith, read the psalms. They will show you how honest you can dare to be with God. It says this of David. This is from Acts chapter 13. It says, God removed Saul and replaced, with him, uh, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Would you like to be called a man or a woman who is after God's own heart? Solomon. Now, Solomon opens the whole area of our relationship with God, our friendship with God, of giving and receiving, of asking and receiving. So, no one in history, certainly up to this point, and I think in today's money, uh, in today's wealth, no one had or has since ever been given as much in one lifetime as Solomon did. He received so much. In present day figures, his wealth would probably amount to hundreds of billions. And it all began with a personal encounter with God. God appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked him to be honest about what he really, really wanted. And Solomon, feeling young and inexperienced as a king, asked for wisdom. And this is what God said to Solomon. Because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, 
but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people. I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge that you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. So Solomon discovered a generosity in God that had never been seen before. And he incorporated that into his relationship with God, this incredibly generous God who loves to give over and above in abundance and to bless. Stunning. Moving on, we've got to get some women in there somewhere. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at Mary. Perhaps the most favoured person of the whole Bible. Perhaps the person who has maybe known intimacy with God to the greatest level of the whole Bible. With Mary, we see this invitation to carry and to bring to birth God's plans. Just, we're not at Christmas yet, but we're going to read this. Uh, Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. We read that most Christmases, but actually it's quite good to read it outside of Christmas time with just fresh ears as part of a normal preaching series, although I think that one's coming up at the end of November, so we're getting a bit close. Um, but Mary somehow turned God's head to the point where God could trust her with the most important task in all of human history. At great cost to herself, she was asked to bring forth God's Son. And then she, re she remained close to God all of her days. She was a true, dependable friend of God. And someone who intimately shared the life of God. And then to round it off, we have Peter. And I love this one. The invitation to mess up and start again. How many of you need that? Peter was brought into Jesus' closest circle. So we've got uh, the crowd, then we've got the 72 disciple, the disciples that followed Jesus everywhere. Then we've got the 12 apostles that Jesus brought into his inner circle. And then even amongst those, there was Peter, James, and John, who seemed to be the closest of the closest of the close to Jesus. This is one of Jesus' best buddies. And despite continually letting Jesus down, he had a unique relationship with Jesus. Jesus never lost sight of Peter's value despite his mistakes. And this is what he said about Peter. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you, plant, you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Well, that's staggering. And he said that knowing that Peter would deny him. And he, uh, especially that he would deny him when Jesus needed him most. 
and yet he still said that over Peter and over something to do with Peter's future and over Peter's life. That was still the value that he placed on Peter and what he would be part of after the cross. Isn't that incredible that Jesus could speak to his friends in that way? And of course, after Peter had spectacularly let Jesus down through the crucifixion time, Jesus bothered to restore their friendship at the first opportunity after the cross on that beach in their beloved Galilee. That's a true friend. Look at the friendship and the commitment Jesus shows to Peter. Now we could look at loads of others, but we, well, we could probably just do several years of just looking at characters and and how they related to God, but these are a great start. And these were all people like you and me, with flesh and blood and failings and hopes and dreams and successes and failures and griefs. Just like us. But something about the way they related to God just blows my mind. They were so in tune and involved with God that the word soulmates was the best word I could come up with to describe this kind of relationship that they enjoyed with God. They were so special to God. They were irreplaceable friends of God. I mean, they were, they were comfortable in each other's presence. They were willing to be open and vulnerable with one another. That's God and them. They could get upset but not break friendship. They could rely on each other, they could turn to each other, and they could achieve loads when they pursued ideas together. They had the marks of a rare quality friendship, which we sometimes describe as soulmates. This person, they're my soulmate. They get me like nobody else does. Do you love the fact that God seeks friendship like that? This is how God has revealed himself. This is what God has revealed that he wants between himself and his people. So let's have a look at how this applies to us. Because we may be forgiven for saying, well, yes, I agree with you, Aid, that these were amazing relationships. They were God's special ones. God chose them for that special relationship. But I'm not sure I'm invited to have the same Relationship or to know God in the same ways? Well, I'm not so sure. If that's the case, what do we do with scriptures like Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11 is an incredible story of all the heroes of faith, all these people that knew God really well, and because they had such a deep friendship with God, they were able to do the most amazing things in their lifetimes. And then at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, it says this. These, these heroes of faith, were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. Can you grasp that? God had all that privilege for them, but planned something better for us. 
we have access to God that none of the Old Testament heroes had. They longed for the day that Jesus would come and tear down the curtain between us and God. They longed for the day that they could sit with God in friendship and total forgiveness and peace. But that was reserved to a future time. That was reserved for me and you. Isn't that amazing? That what is freely open to us, they didn't even begin to know that. And yet they lived the lives they did. Let's look at the words of Jesus. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. See, we may long to stand where the heroes of the Bible stood and to hear and to see what they heard and saw. We may long to stand in front of the Red Sea and watch those waves part with Moses. We may long to stand on the mountain with Elijah and watch God pass by in the earthquake, well, not in the earthquake, or the wind or the fire, but then come with that still small voice. We may long to stand with Moses as the burning bush happened. We may long to stand with Adam as the animals pass by. We want to stand where they stand, but you know what? They long to stand where you stand. It's an incredible thought. One of the things we've heard that the prophets and the heroes of the Old Testament never got to hear was the pronouncement that we are children of God adopted into his family and therefore co-heirs with Christ. They never got to see the curtain in the temple ripped in two and unbridled access into the Holy of Holies. They never received the Holy Spirit the way that you and I have. Do you see how privileged we are? We can stand in this place of greater privilege and access to God and then look back on these stories, on these biographies, as graphic stories of the baseline of what is possible for us. And that's what we want to do in this series. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have greater privilege and greater access to friendship with God than the heroes of the Old Testament? Do you believe it? Do you want to believe it more? Yeah. <laughs> we are allowed to stand on the same ground that they did. But we do need God's help, I think, sometimes, don't we? To believe, to trust God that actually what is written in the Bible applies to us. I think we always all struggle to believe, I think. Something in our established mindsets can cause us to see what is possible and to marvel, but never really attempt to follow for ourselves. I once heard a great 
illustration of this um, to do with training elephants in India. And some of you may have come across this before. Apparently, to train an Indian elephant as a sort of domestic beast of burden for your family, you have to get an elephant while they're little, and then you get an enormous stake and drive it into the ground, and then you tether the little elephant to the big enormous stake, and the elephant learns within the first few years that it can't go any further than what it can pull on its tether, because it's staked to the ground. So the vicinity of that elephant's life is within a, a, a circumference of that stake. And by the time it becomes a great big strong elephant, it will never move beyond its, the, the circle that it's learned to live in. When an elephant reaches adolescence, it is easily strong enough to pull the stake out of the ground and just to head off into the jungle. But it won't because it's learned that it can't do that. And they have two kinds of stakes. They have training stakes and then they just have normal stakes. So you can actually pull up the great big stake and put quite a small stake in the ground and the elephant still won't pull it out because it's learned that it can't go any further than its boundary. <coughs> well, I think it can be like that for us all. From a young age, the world teaches us who we are and what is possible. And your early experiences dictate how big your circle of freedom is in your life. <coughs> and that's where you live the rest of your life, within that sphere of experience. We're deeply programmed not to attempt to step beyond what our experiences have told us is possible. And this applies to your relationship with God as well. God has provided this expansive world of experiences to explore. Possibilities that are beyond what we've experienced thus far. And the boundaries of friendship that God has offered us are so much wider than most people dare to believe. But we have to make a choice. Are we going to let our past experience keep us tethered to the place that we have lived thus far? Like the elephant. Or are we up for a new adventure? To pull up the stake and to head out into the jungle with Jesus. Spiritually speaking. Just imagine that by Christmas we had learned how to co-create with God like Adam. Develop reckless trust in him like Abraham begun to enjoy face-to-face -face friendship like Moses, find you can be honest and intimate with God like David, learn how to ask and receive from him like Solomon, carry his purposes and bring his plans to birth like Mary, and to be able to mess up and to get up quickly and still be secure in the knowledge that you are still the amazing person that God says you are, just like Peter did. That would be an adventure worth taking, wouldn't it? I think so. Well, that's where we're going over the next few months.